think it's not a secret that I may have seemed a little overly cautious with my data emissions over the last few years, especially concerning uh, metadata, um, internet usage, my phone, and my phone, um, um, the ease of accessibility to, um, to communicating with me has been uh, not exactly there. Uh, I keep my phone in a Faraday bag, in airplane, or on airplane mode, and I installed a custom operating system that um, sort of circumvents a lot of the uh, surveillance tactics that we've kind of just grown complacent and okay with. It's just like, yeah, Google, it's okay if you know the orientation of my phone while I take a shit. That's just fine. It's, it's all right. It's all right. It's like no one gives a shit. It's like, it's kind of gross. It's just people know that um, if you're observed, even when no one, the person or when you don't know you're being observed, um, it's been demonstrated to... Um, lead to differences in behavioral patterns in um, observational study participants. Um, additionally, uh, direct knowledge of being surveilled has uh, significant changes uh, observed in the behavior of study participants. And I think this is kind of that sort of effect where if we know we're being watched, our behavior changes. It domesticates our um, our natural sort of moral compass, for starters. B, it sort of um, it hijacks our neurological feedback mechanisms concerning uh, being watched, privacy, uh, what opinions we're allowed to have, what we're allowed to say. We're self-censoring, even in the privacy of our own homes, and that's kind of fucked up. And that's why data is important. They guide the narrative, the overarching societal narrative with our data. They use the data to generate estimators so that in the control experiments, which is what it is, they've, none, none of this stuff has ever been done in a real-life uh, um, sort of scenario like this. So the experiment is happening in real time, and unfortunately, that's exactly what I'm kind of studying, and I can see it clear as day that you know, things were not exactly going toward anywhere particularly fruitful, particularly um, responsible for um, for us on a societal scale. I mean, just just the outright lies. Everything's a lie. There is there was no truth to anything you saw in the news. Everything you saw was a manipulation of the truth with just enough just enough of it where you you'd buy it, but only that much, and purposefully so. Anything beyond that um, small bite of truth that may exist in any news report, and I mean all of them, it does not matter who it is, Fox, CNN, like, well, pick, your, pick your poison. Um, information and truth is a valuable thing, right? And I can't think of an easier way to make money than monetizing information. Offering full information, uncensored information, is clearly not a, uh, there's no profit motive for doing so if you are the one who is um, facilitating the spreading of that information. So imagine you're working at CNN, you have some you, get, you have some gravy, and people are like, yo, ladle the gravy on a CNN. And you're like, hmm, that's a lot of gravy. You don't even know that this much gravy exists. I'm going to keep, oh, I'm going to keep all of it, but a little job for myself here. You don't need to know. We'll, you, we'll use this for later, for later news reports or later observational studies or surveillance endeavors and we'll give you a little bit so you just think that like there's 
enough truth en- enough there that <laughs> enough there 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 for um something that uh resembles what's the reality of the situation but it doesn't it's always just a manipulation and the way they frame it is perfectly it, it, they've modeled it over and over and over again and they continue to do so with ever increasing accuracy because you're your phone just keeps collecting more and more data about you, and they don't throw away the old data. They just keep it just keeps coming in, right? So every time that there's another observation of you doing something, they are just that much more accurate. It doesn't go the other way. It only goes one way, and that's better and better every time. And that's just the nature of the kind of experiments they're doing, which I would call um, sort of like a control experiment. Where so you have the system, a society, a societal system, and. They introduce things that don't make sense, but don't really uh, upset people too terribly much. Like um, Federal Reserve, for instance, it's you have this thing called the Cantillon effect, which makes inflation take a little while to uh, be felt in the consumer markets. And you know, the fact of the matter is, most people who um, legislate these things are dead before um, you know it's apparent that uh, inflation is a real thing. And <laughs> that's why no one's ever held responsible for these things. But say we'll, we'll take that for instance. So you have this like unlimited money printing sort of apparatus that's given just arbitrarily for the sake of example. Twenty years lag in time before anybody understands the brevity of um, having done such a thing, like increasing the nominal supply of money. So you got twenty years, unlimited money. All the academic institutions, the corporate institutions, finance, all these power centers that exist—they're just people. Why would you not bribe every single power center to behave in a certain way, lock, lockstep when the time's right, or gradually leading to a certain situation? You could, there, there's, there is no upper limit on what you'd be able to do with that much time and that much money. The people who run the society obviously fund the studies and research that I'm referencing here. I mean, referencing sort of from my head. I mean, it's just general knowledge, of course, in um, you know, systems theory and information theory. So they funded this. Why would they not use the research? They have access to higher technology and better information than we do. They're going to monetize it in addition to solidify the power of printing money because if you can print money out of thin air, you can create value from nothing. You've essentially uh, become God, or so they probably feel, and it probably does feel like you're God. So what would you do to keep your stranglehold on uh, the powers of God do anything. What would you not do to be able to print money from thin air? Unlimited wants and desires, limited resources. You can outbid other people with no cost to yourself. And you can do it exhaustively so that by the time the Cantillon effect, the, the inflation thing I spoke of, comes to uh, a head, it's too late. And um, what's happening now is that has been sort of a uh, like the cement is dried with respect to um, those sorts of uh, control mechanisms. And what we're experiencing is a live simulation, really. Well, it's not even a simulation. It's like the experiment's happening in real time because surveillance tools, um, all, the, all of the information they already have, the information of chaos theory, they're introducing chaotic or they're introducing entropic conditions to our system so that the chaos that ensues following it can be steered a certain direction. And and that is essentially what applied chaos theory is. You fuck things up on purpose and then you steer the fuckery because only you know that you fuck things up on purpose for a certain amount of time. 
And the next layer of that is you, you fuck up multiple things at the same time, and then you control the information flow. So you've got all these false like or semi-true sorts of uh, narratives that you're laying out there. And what this is is really an, it, they're driving a narrative. Their narrative, the, the core narrative, is unknown. There is the true narrative, which is essentially that from the perspective of um, you know the common person like like you and I. So that true or the truest narrative is not never going to be told to us, um, you know, formally or anything. We have to sort of weed through it ourselves. In addition to that, you have uh, several, you know, who knows how many hundreds maybe, um, sort of deep. It's sort of like this fractured, um, or this this fractional control mechanism where you diffuse any meaningful um, resistance or meaningful um, organization to thwart these types of control mechanisms and you know the feedback that ensues in the form of chaos and yada yada yada. You can't thwart this if you don't have sufficient mass of people to do so with, and they know this. Of course, this is again chaos theory one hundred and one. So. So it's like a fractured responsibility, sort of fractured um, populist kind of uh, reaction because we're all going down different rabbit holes. Everyone's at odds with one another. Then then there's two big ones, the dichotomous narratives, the big ones, like the QAnon and then like the the white supremacy sort of uh, critical race theory nuts who think that like white privilege isn't... I don't even even want to get into that, but... uh, so they're, they're steering the narrative by diffusing the, the reaction to, like, or they're, they're diffusing the, the outrage at the fact that they've lied. Well, everyone knows it. Everyone knows that the government lies. It's quite clear. And that all goes back to the information flow and the perfection of information of some over others. And it's, it's just, it just makes sense. It's, it, it's not their fault. They're just adhering to the system. And what the system is, is it, it's not linear. You can't. You can't point this out in a straight line. It's like, well, this leads to that. Nothing is like that. So why do people think that way? It's because we've evolved to think that way. For so long, that's how things were. It's just like someone gets hit in the head with a coconut. It's like, well, the coconut fell out of the tree. But you know, now we're at this point where we're like, well, what if the coconut and the tree were a simulation and someone actually hit you in the head with a tennis racket and you would never know it because you didn't know you were in a simulation? That's kind of like... I mean, as, as crude of an example as that is, and I'm just pulling it out of my ass, that's kind of what we're running into right now. <laughs> because uh, nonlinear dynamics is not something that's in, the, in, in like, the common person's... Um, it's not in the forefront of their mind. It's not how they process uh, problems. It's not how they think about things. And it absolutely should be, and the only reason it's not is because, hey, wouldn't you know it? the same people who are implementing the experiment, the same people who control the flow of information, the same people... These same people also control academia. Academia is a huge part of this because guess who is guess who conducts the research that you know uh, enumerates these sort of methodologies in a way that can be applied to like politics or societal engineering or whatever it is. So what's the core problem here? It's your data emissions. If they did not have your data emissions, they would not be able to adequately lead you astray. And this is done on the person-to-person level. It's not like it's like, oh, they, they couldn't do that to everybody at once. It's like, yes, they do. Everybody's ads are personalized to them. Everyone's Google uh, search results, are they could be completely different. 100 different people, same search. 
it's, it will at least be a little bit different. No one, no two will be the same. And that's just the way it is. And that's what we traded for the convenience of having that false knowledge base to confer useless fucking information for so long. You never needed it. You still don't need it. There was already all this infrastructure in place and you're like, well, hell, there's nothing besides the internet. It's like, how am I, I going to know things? It's just like, guess what? You already knew it, bitch. That's right. All this stuff I'm talking about that I went to school and sort of uh, found the correct vocabulary terms uh, to, to just to aptly define and communicate to other people in a way that made sense and beyond that, a way that was, you know, easily accessible and a way that was able to be vetted for factual uh, accuracy. And I, th I think I, I hold myself to all those standards. And now that I'm, you know, I'm here, I realize that the true knowledge base was it, as corny as it sounds. It was always it was always in there. It's like you can let things play out in your mind and come to these conclusions. Anybody can. You, you, you can. Everybody can. And once you do, you realize that there is this this beautiful like source information that you can tap into that makes it's unbreakable and cannot be like argued with it's not even worth arguing with somebody who has access to this information because they can't they can't be persuaded because it is just true some things just are and you don't need to prove it and it's the same thing it's another knowledge base it's the real knowledge base that should be referenced whenever you have a problem that is um, you know, of sufficient complexity where you need this, this new framework that I'm planning on introducing um, for doing so. And that framework is complex adaptive systems. It is um, the hollow fractal, the interconnectivity of everything. Uh, all systems are uh, entangled through some form of quantum wormhole or another to all other systems at all other layers of complexity. And this complexity thing that I go on and on about, it's, it's sort of just like, uh, it, can, it's, it, it just it is. Things only get more complex as time goes on. This is the only thing you can be sure of. If you're measuring things with time, time is, you know, it's a, it's a human um, invented value that uh, acts as the axiom through which we can measure other things. Without time, we're just like, it's like for what, how are we going to measure things? You know, we need time series to um, record events, to make, uh, to draw inference from patterns we observe. So all systems are comprised of subsystems that are within well-defined boundaries. Every element or every component of a system in and of itself is a subsystem that is also a system in its own right. And they all have their own subsystems within them that can be zoomed into, and they are systems. And then within them, there's more subsystems, and this, this continues in, in infinitely. And the only thing that limits like this, like lower, like smaller and smaller uh, systems defining an observation is technology. Like microscopes allow you to see smaller things, electron microscopes, even smaller than that. And then you can theorize there's something beyond that, and like. There's even like Cohen and Einstein. It's just like there's always going to be something beyond that. And then the other way, which is um, equally important, but in a different way, is you have to penetrate the system that you're within to be outside of it so th that you can observe it from the outside and thus aptly um, define it. So you have to exit a system to define it. So the system that you're living under, the system that is affecting your life, the news, all these things, 
you actually do not understand the system because you are living inside of it. If you think that the system is linear, if you think that people don't lie, if you think that only your side is not lying, then you are living in a, uh, you're not living in a real system. You're living in a nonlinear, like, clown world, and you need to get your head out of your ass, please. Because nonlinear dynamics are introduced to systems. Like, as soon as somebody, you know, as soon as there's any, like, false signals or any uh, assumed to be true signals, it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, malicious. But then beyond that, you have this, like, fractional ordered thing I was speaking of before, which is where you have these adversarial agents misleading purposefully. And they're reactive and dynamic, and you have to... You have to weed your way through it because there are so many subsystems of this greater system and then the, and then infinitely many nested within that. So it's just like you have to do this legwork of, um, you know, looking inward to sort of weed your way through it to the next layer. And then you're like, oh, fuck, there's another there's another layer. And by the virtue of you <laughs> noticing uh, these, these new patterns and exiting a system that define it properly, you've just introduced all these new things and you always realize it's the tip of the iceberg. And that is just the way it goes. This will continue f for a very long time. And disengaging from uh, the information feeds that you are sort of uh, given, or that if you disengage from the, the most obvious sources of, sources of information, like say you open Microsoft Edge and you got Microsoft News, and it's just like this uh, aggregate, uh, this aggregate like news source that's like tailoring news just to you based on all your computer usage, because they have that. Wouldn't you know it? Of course they do. It's Microsoft, Bill Gates. Just be aware of that, and all you have to do is disengage. The sooner you disengage, the sooner it loses its effect on you. It's like a spell. It's, it is a spell. It's chaos magic. Chaos magic is just chaos theory from a layer of complexity ago. Now we have discrete mathematics in these other um, more specific ways, these more detailed ways to um, explain it, but before it was just chaos magic. All of these old things, all, all of these old spiritual or otherwise, like, mystical way, manners of being and manners of uh, living ideologies if, if you will they all have truth in them but they're not as complex as they are now so we need to start thinking of these things these, um, these past kind of clues that were there and putting them in the context of a complex adaptive system and with that we're able to bring it to, re to, to the next layer of complexity because you know the systems, the like, or these like the chaos magic or the chaos theory in itself—they're both systems, right? Just the the chaos theory of today is um, more complex because with times passing, these systems get more complex. It's like it's, it was the evolution of the magic that led to the the mathematical types of theories that you know people look at and they're like, oh god, I see a lambda. I don't know what to do. It's like it's not that hard to figure out. It's just a symbol, dude. So you have these. Uh, you have the complex systems. They introduce factors that create emergent properties through um, what's known as entropy, and this is the thermodynamic process of heat dissipation that is, is kind of just how things evolve. When you introduce these things to a system, the system tries to adapt and, adapt and reach homeostasis. That's entropy taking place. Entropy is the mechanism through which chaotic conditions uh, emerge out of um, a complex adaptive system, and then the, the chaos eventually becomes a more... Um, a more easily defined um, property. And then you can redefine the system as that once you've observed the, um, the emergent property for long enough to have an apt explanation for what's happening. And then the, this just happens forever. And then even a second passing or any definable unit of time measurement, every, every second is a new system. So like 
My phone right now that I'm recording this into is, I'm defining it as a system now, and one second pass, now it's a new system because the time is also a property of the system. The time's a stand-in for what we don't really have any information or uh, way of explaining and I think what that's what time is standing in for is complexity. I think complexity is the next layer of complexity for time, as ridiculous as that sounds, but like time's not exactly helpful right now, and it's so easy to see this huge unit of uh, time measurement and just like feel like so little and so uh, like not not worthless, but just so like insignificant and I, I think that is um not where things should be going because I think the power of thought and the power of information is probably the only way out of